This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And as an announcement, we have ended our Velociraptor giveaway. Drum roll. <laughs> the winner. That was a very nice drum roll. This is the best I could do. <laughs> the, the winner is Michaela from Texas. Yay! Congratulations, Michaela. And Michaela already knows this, but now everyone does. Yes, and we are sorry that. I wish we had more Velociraptors we could give out because we got such an amazing, enthusiastic response from so many of you. Yeah, definitely. And we do have a consolation prize for everyone that entered, which we will be sending out soon. If you carefully read <laughs> the official rules, you would have seen in there that it says everyone who enters gets a special electronic gift, which we'll be mailing shortly. Leave it up in the air so you can be surprised by what it is. <laughs> this week, we have a review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Dinosaur of the Day Indoraptor, which leads naturally from that review, and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. We also have our poll results from the favorite Jurassic Park movie, and in number one was Jurassic Park. Surprise, surprise. By a landslide, 85% of people ranked it as their number one choice. That's our favorite, too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everybody's. <laughs> Up next was Jurassic Park Lost World, although it was very close between Jurassic Park Lost World and Jurassic World. That's they were, interesting. They were almost tied. And if you look at the IMDb scores, Jurassic World is actually a little bit higher. Even though there's no Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. I mean, this, you really need Jeff Goldblum. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Jurassic Park The Lost World was so compelling because it has all the dinosaurs kind of in the wild for the first time. But Jurassic World had the same kind of vibe as Jurassic Park. So it, it kind of played up on all the people that really like Jurassic Park, which is most people. And then coming in a distant last was Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> we were expecting that. Although there was one person who answered our survey that liked it the best. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder why. They must like Spinosaurus. That's mm. the only thing I could think of. And then another funny thing was that Jurassic Park The Lost World had the largest spread. There were several number one votes and number four votes, meaning like they liked it the least. So I think it's kind of polarizing. There were a lot of little details in there that people didn't like. I think a lot of people thought that the whole dinosaurs making it back to San Diego was cheesy and some of the other scenes they didn't like. Or they might have liked the book better. Yeah, it could be. And we'll talk about how Fallen Kingdom fits in a little later, or at least where we think it would fit in. 
Jumping into the news, we've got two new dinosaurs, both of which are ankylosaurs. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I know you're excited. So <laughs> first, we have an article from the Swiss Journal of Paleontology. I don't think we've talked about that one before. By Hector Rivera Silva and others. And it's all about that new ankylosaur. This one's called Acantholopon gonzalez eye. And acantholopon comes from acanthos, which means spine in Greek, and lepon, which is a local Apache tribe in the region of Mexico where it was found. It's an ankylosaur with the name spine in it? Yeah, I think that refers to kind of the spines like oh, on its on body. It. I was thinking, did it have a long spine? That's not usually <laughs> what they're known for. I was thinking you were thinking of like spinosaurus with a sail. Oh, no. I think they're just talking about like spines, like osteoderms, basically. Got it. And then Gonzalez eye it's probably easy to guess it's in honor of someone named gonzalez <laughs> in this case it's a mexican paleontologist named arturo homero gonzalez gonzalez his last name is hyphenated gonzalez gonzalez hmm. it's interesting it's apparently the first named ankylosaur from mexico and it's actually a nodosaur which means it doesn't have a tail club which is kind of a bummer because it's always more exciting when they have tail clubs which means this isn't in the ankylosaurid group. It's just a more general ankylosaurian. <laughs> but does it have spines? Apparently. It's in its name. It's likely a juvenile. This is about 3.5 meters or 11 feet long, which is pretty small for an ankylosaur, generally speaking. And it's from Coahuila, Mexico, which is kind of northeastern. And it was found in the Penn Formation, which is from the Campanian, or about 80 million years ago kind of middle of the range as far as ankylosaurs are concerned. The pen formation, at least in this part, is a marine sediment. So that means that this guy got washed out to sea before it got buried. Seems to be common for those ankylosaurs. Yeah, they didn't mention if it got buried upside down or not. It'd be kind of cool to know because apparently a lot of times they end up upside down <laughs> like turtles. Unfortunately, the skeleton was missing the skull, so it wasn't initially named. It was actually found quite a bit earlier and published back then, but this paper kind of reviewed a lot of different remains from Mexico, and they decided that this specific species and find was unique enough that it deserved its own name. And I'm guessing that originally they didn't name it because a lot of ankylosaurs are named based on the skull almost exclusively. It's kind of the placement of the horns and things like that. They did find vertebrae from the tail and the back, as well as part of the arm, a partial femur and rib, and some osteoderms and other pieces. So it is a pretty good smattering of bones. <laughs> Although, you know, since we're usually comparing skulls, it's a lot more difficult to find diagnostic features. I think they ended up kind of looking at the arm and seeing some differences in the humerus or something that they decided was enough to make it its own species. There's also going to be a replica of Acantholopon in the Coahuila's Desert Museum. I don't think it's up there yet, but apparently it will be soon. Cool. It, I like seeing replicas. Yeah, they're always nice to see. And I'll have to add that museum to our dinosaur map because it definitely isn't on there now. But first, I need to figure out where it is. <laughs> <laughs> the other new ankylosaur we're going to talk about is Jindi Jialong, and it hasn't been formally named yet. It was found back in 2011, and it's from the Cretaceous about 100 million years ago, it looks like. And it's a nearly complete ankylosaur. There's a really crappy picture of it on the news site that I was looking at, but it looked really good. I mean, the 
the preservation looked really good from what you could tell from the picture. And apparently by now it should be on public display. Nice. The article was from May and it was saying that in early June it would be on public display at the Shaanxi Geological Museum in China, which is another museum that I don't have on the map yet and I need to find. I went to the TripAdvisor <laughs> link for this website and there were three reviews and one of them was, where is this museum? I walked down the entire street that it's supposed to be on and couldn't find it. <laughs> hole-in-the-wall kind of museum. Yeah, I guess so. I did manage to find their website and they have a map, so I think I'll be able to piece it together. But some of these ones, especially in China, can be really difficult to find. Yeah, we don't know much about it, though, because it hasn't been published. I'm hoping that maybe it'll be at SVP and we'll get more information about it there. That would be good. (laughs) You just want more ankylosaur information. Yeah, I do. Who doesn't? (laughs) You more so than others, though. By others, are you talking about yourself? Maybe. Speaking of China, a bunch of dinosaur footprints were found in a village in Shandong province in East China. There's about 70 dromaeosaurid footprints, and according to Xinglisa, that may show that they lived in groups. There were also bird footprints and six other dinosaur species, both carnivores and herbivores. They're from the late Jurassic, which was around 140 to 150 million years ago. Yeah, these dinosaur track sites in China pop up like crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a never-ending stream of them. But you can learn a lot. Yeah. In South Dakota, there is a T-Rex lawsuit currently going on. So last summer, Darwin and Patty Hauser sued a dinosaur excavator called In the Beginning Fossils. A T-Rex was found on the couple's land and they worked with the excavator to dig up the bones and then sell it. So the lawsuit's about whether the couple who owns the land it was found on should get 50% or 60% of the proceeds. And the couple's claiming that the skeleton was sold as a prepared skeleton instead of an unprepared skeleton and that unprepared would have given them more money yeah and they say that just because a portion of the fossils were clean doesn't mean that they were prepared the other side though is saying that they spent many hours preparing cleaning and marketing the fossil a judge is supposed to settle the dispute soon maybe the t-rex was sold last year 2017 for an undisclosed amount but probably a lot because they're fighting over 10 (laughs) percent And T-Rexes are pretty rare. Maybe only 50 have been found so far. There was a deposition on June 26th, and then attorneys are deciding what to do next. Interesting. I wonder if the preparation was really poorly done, if they think it would have gone for more money without being prepared. Because usually there's so much cost and time that goes into the preparation that if you can prepare it and mount it, it's worth a lot more. So that's kind of surprising. That no, they said I that. think the unprepared is worth more because then you have all that data that comes with it that scientists value. They value it, but scientists don't have much money. Mm. If you're selling it to a museum, they would care, but scientists aren't going to fork out millions of dollars. So I don't know. It's weird. In England, friends of Crystal Palace dinosaurs are looking for volunteers to help make the dinosaurs of Crystal Palace look more authentic. They're adding plants like ferns and cycads. There's also plans to restore the dinosaurs and the park. On September 9th, there's going to be a Crystal Palace Dinosaur Day with behind-the-scenes conservation tours, talks on digitizing dinosaurs and why it's hard for us to accept feathered dinosaurs, Mm. as well as short films, art, and drawing workshops. So they're making them look more authentic by changing their surroundings. They're not actually changing the dinosaurs themselves, it sounds like. I think they're restoring the dinosaurs. Oh, that's good. 
Next, thanks to Marky, who shared this one with us via Facebook. On June 23rd, the Perot Museum of Nature and Science in Texas opened their Ultimate Dinosaurs exhibit to the public. The description says, quote, See dinosaurs come to life. In Ultimate Dinosaurs, you'll get access to rarely seen specimens from the other side of the world, from the tiny Eoraptor to T-Rex's bigger, badder cousin, Gigantosaurus, or Giganotosaurus, depending on how you feel like saying it. Be transported to prehistoric times through cutting-edge technology where you can explore the breathtaking characteristics of these exotic species through hands-on activities. Time machine not required, end quote. And you can reserve tickets online or in person. Admission is in 15-minute intervals. Interesting. I hear the Perot Museum is a nice place. Yes, that's on our list of places we want to visit. Yeah, that's near Dallas, right? I think so. In Texas. We'll have to check our map. (laughs) (laughs) In another state... This year, SVP is going to be in New Mexico. And as part of it, the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science is putting together a paleo art exhibition that's going to run from October 6th until January 4th. So they're currently looking for paleo artists to submit their work, and the deadline is August 1st. We'll post a link if you're a paleo artist. You should try it. Yeah, that'll be cool. I wonder if that's where the pre-SVP, like, day before cocktail hour is going to be. Oh, maybe. Because usually in a museum. Yeah, that would make sense. And then they get to show off all the paleo art. Yeah, it'd be a nice setting. Mm -hmm. Speaking of museums, the Regalis Ceratops is coming back on display at the Royal Tyrrell Museum. Actually, it's now on permanent display in Dinosaur Hall. It was first found in 2005 and it took three years to excavate and then another 17 months to prepare. And it's a very nice display. Garrett and I saw it. So the first time we went to that museum... Yeah, and I think it might have still been up there the second time. It was in one of those, I think it was Fossils on Focus. It's intended to be a rotating display. Mm-hmm. But since that one was so cool looking, I think it just kind of stuck around for a couple of years. So now they're finally moving it somewhere else so they can put in some new fossils in that rotating exhibit. So it sounds like at least. Oh, I don't remember it the last time, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next, the Washington Post published a piece about Ray Stanford, who is a 79-year-old dinosaur hunter, and he's found some amazing dinosaur tracks, including a eight-and-a-half-foot slab found at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland with tracks from herbivores, carnivores, reptiles, and mammals. And we've actually talked about those tracks. Also, talk about life goals. So he gives some advice on tracking dinosaurs. One, know your dinosaurs so you can recognize what you see. And same goes for tracks. This is, you know, you're out hiking whatnot. Two, know your geology and look in areas where rocks are exposed. And three, pay attention, but be open to the bigger picture. So enjoy your hike, for example, but keep your eyes open for some interesting finds. Yeah, that's a good a good tip. Because if you don't enjoy the hike, you're probably not going to go out that much to keep looking. Mm-hmm. If that's your only goal, you'll just get disappointed and give up probably. Yep. If you're in Utah in Unita County... Near Dinosaur National Monument, keep your eyes open for a bunch of dinosaur roadside attractions. We actually, I think we saw most of these, Garrett, when we were there. There's a 20-foot T-Rex near a gas station. There's a dinosaur wearing a swimsuit. There's a big sauropod outside Dinosaur National Monument. There's Greenie, a theropod, and a Pepto-colored sauropod in Vernal, a pink. I remember the pink one for sure, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to forget. (laughs) (laughs) So these dinosaurs have been around for decades. They were originally meant to attract tourists to local businesses, and now they're these fixtures in their towns, which makes sense. The Pepto sauropod was actually originally part of a motel and now has a small park around it and welcomes people to Vernal. So the motel is gone, but they kept the dinosaur? Exactly. Nice. And then they put a park around it so anyone can visit. We've seen a few of those where the dinosaur outlives the business that it was there to promote. (laughs) Yeah, because people prefer dinosaurs or they like the dinosaurs better. (laughs) Yeah. 
We found a cool video featuring Lottie and Shannon Gochowski, which is a couple who started La Chatelan in Bozeman, Montana in 2006. And La Chatelan makes handcrafted artisan European chocolates. Hmm. They actually create special chocolates for the Museum of the Rockies gift shop, such as dinosaur eggs with baby dinosaurs inside. <laughs> I didn't notice that when we were in their gift shop, but That's had I cool. known. <laughs> yeah, there's a cool video. We're a little late on this one, but Google celebrated Father's Day with a follow-up to its Mother's Day doodle. They had six dinosaur handprints that formed sauropods, and they come in all colors. There's blue, red, yellow, green, orange. It's very cute. Sort of like a turkey that you make on Thanksgiving with a handprint instead of sauropods? Yeah, so I guess it's the opposite, or your oh, hand goes down. down yeah. Gotcha. Because your thumb, I want to say, is the neck. Hmm. There's a theme park that's kind of similar to Universal Studios called Cinecita world i think in rome i'm guessing that's an italian name and it has a new dinosaur exhibit they have replica fossils some pretty cheesy animatronics (laughs) (laughs) but the cool thing about it is they have this 3d video projected on about a dozen screens so there's like five of them facing each other if you imagine kind of like the walls of a hallway and then two at the end So in the front, if you walk into it from the back. So it's like you're surrounded. Yeah, exactly. And it's in 3D. You could tell it was 3D because on YouTube, a guy took a video of it and it has that weird look where it's like you're seeing double Mm -hmm. because you don't have the 3D glasses on. It's kind of fuzzy. Yeah, a little bit. And the way it's set up is it looks like you're on a train car kind of following the engine. So you're in like the middle of a train car and you can look to the sides and then there's dinosaurs sort of like a safari around you. So it looks pretty neat. It would definitely be a fun exhibit. It reminds me a little bit of... The Fukui Prefectural Dinosaur Museum. Exactly. But they only had one one screen facing the other, so two total. Mm-hmm. And this one has 12. And I felt like I had a hard time watching that one. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything with just the two screens. Yeah, you want to stand right in between it because it feels more immersive that way. Mm-hmm. But then you're just looking back and forth constantly. I think the scene that happened at Fukui was a little more exciting and probably a little bit more realistic. From what I could tell from this one in Cinecita World, it's just kind of a, you know, like the sauropod cranes its neck down while the stegosaurus walks slowly and they're Mm. not really interacting that much. But it's hard to say. Maybe it gets a little more exciting as time goes on. Cool. Yeah. If if anybody goes there, let us know how it is because it's very far from us. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of theme parks or ish, we're actually now getting into the Jurassic World part of the show. (laughs) So there's a Jurassic suite at the Lowe's Royal Pacific Resort at Universal Orlando, and this room has dinosaurs and Jurassic World everywhere. There's tracks on the floor, twin beds that look like the gyrosphere from Jurassic World. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, with bedding that looks like kind of like the dinosaur test tubes. Hmm. And dinosaurs are on the wall behind the bed, and then there's room for adults, which they didn't show pictures, so I guess there's no dinosaurs there. But the adults are next door in the suite, and rates range from $489 to $679 per night over the summer. Yeah, they include complimentary Universal Express unlimited passes, so you can skip lines at Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure. And apparently you can see blue at Islands of Adventure. Yeah, it's at that kind of Velociraptor encounter area. They just replaced it with a blue Velociraptor. That's smart. Yeah, I saw a little video this morning of some people encountering blue and they're all very still even though it looks like blue is about to bite them and there are people in the background like screaming like ah it's gonna get them and they all just stand there calmly smiling pretty (laughs) impressive family that is maybe they practiced (laughs) could be 
or they saw it happen to other people, so they weren't startled by it. Yeah. All right. The rest of this show is just going to be a bunch of spoilers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, pretty much. So I guess listen to us later if you don't want to be spoiled and you haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah. Literally the rest of the show, too, including the dinosaur of the day and the fun fact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but our last bit of news is about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and the science in it. And Smithsonian listed five ways that real science would have made it even better. And that includes they should have had dinosaurs with feathers. Maybe some of the new dinosaurs that are introduced in the movie. They didn't need the dinosaurs to be huge, at least the carnivores. Yeah. They could have given the dinosaurs more ostrich or crocodile-like sounds and, quote, an honest depiction of dinosaur genetic engineering. Examples like reverse engineering a chicken or retrieving dinosaur proteins from fossils. But we still enjoyed the movie a lot. We saw it three times. Yeah. I, I give them a break on the dinosaur genetic engineering because that's the whole concept of Jurassic Park. So I think it's okay that they're sticking to the dinosaur amber DNA thing because, I mean, what else are you going to do? But the new dinosaurs that they added, I really do wish that they added feathers, especially because a few of them definitely had feathers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why why not? Some, one of them was so unique that they had never had a dinosaur of that type before, the Ehrlichosaurus. They and, had a... Oh, no, that was a different one. Yeah, that one didn't have any feathers. And yeah. it's like, why not just put feathers on it? There were... One or two that had a tiny bit of feathers on the tail. Yeah, like Indoraptor had a little bit of like kind of proto feathers down its back. Oh, yeah, on the back. But yeah, very few feathers. I want to say Mononychus had a few tail feathers. Could be. Yeah. I think a couple of them in the dioramas had a little bit of feathers. Yes. Which, by the way, if you want to know every dinosaur that's in the movie and where it appears, at least the ones we found, we saw it three times, we took very detailed <laughs> notes. We made a video about this and it's on our YouTube channel. Yeah. It's called Dinosaurs in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We kind of just rapid fire go through all the ones we saw. <laughs> but it was tricky because in the movie, unlike all the other Jurassic Park movies, they basically never say the name of the names of the dinosaurs. Except during the auction scene. Yeah, but they only do like three. <laughs> they only show a couple and then they name a few that they didn't really show too. Yeah. Yeah. It was mostly the well-known ones though. Some of the ones where you're like, oh, that's new. You don't actually hear what it is. No. Like Sinoceratops. They never say Sinoceratops. We just knew because we saw it in the trailer and knew what to expect. Even Stygimoloch. Yep. They didn't mention that one either. But they did mention Ankylosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> in case we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and T-Rex. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. 
yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now on to our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So I'm going to start off by saying that I liked it better than Jurassic World, the original Jurassic World. Why? I just think that it was a little bit more cohesive of a story, and I liked the way that the dinosaurs were portrayed in it a little better. Is it because you like horror and this had more of a horror element to it? It could be. I'm not really sure exactly why. But something in the first one, it was a lot of showing the people the characters of the story. It felt like there was a lot more interaction with the dinosaurs in this movie. Well, they did promise more dinosaurs than ever before. Yeah. So they delivered. And they were kind of up close with them a lot more. In the last movie, it was a lot of dinosaur pops in out of nowhere, eats another dinosaur kind of thing. In this one, there was a lot more people running away from them or like touching them or, you know, other sorts of interactions that I really enjoyed. But what do you think? How did this one stack in the order for you? I don't know. I like the dinosaurs, the way they're depicted on the island. Mm -hmm. And there's always that element of you don't know where they pop up. Although I guess in this movie, at the end, you don't know where the dinosaurs are going to pop up since they all escape. Oh, very true. So I liked it a lot, but I really don't know how I would rank it. There were some funny moments. That was nice. There were some really great dinosaurs. We couldn't tell the difference in most cases between the puppets and the CGI. Oh, yeah. Because we knew there were going to be a lot of puppets in it, but it was kind of hard to identify where they were exactly. And there were a lot of really good highlights in this movie. I, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is probably the opening scene, actually. I mentioned last week that I thought the opening scene translated really well in 4DX, and now we can talk about why. <laughs> so that submarine part in those movie theater seats really translated well because it sort of rocks you back and forth slowly like you're underwater, and then when it's like puttering forward, it kind of leans you forward. And then, you know, obviously when things are trying to eat it, it starts shaking you around. And same thing with the helicopter. Mm -hmm. That part worked really well. But at the end of the scene, it sprays you in the face with water. And then for the rest of the movie, you've got little water spots <laughs> on your 3D glasses. I guess I'm better at ignoring that. I yeah. didn't really notice. It dried up pretty well. They must use pretty clean water so that it didn't leave any kind of mineral deposits. But there's always still a little bit left 
so it's not great. But I'm not sure if it would be better without the glasses because then you just get sprayed in the eye, <laughs> which would also kind of be annoying. So yeah, I, I really like that opening scene though. I think they did a great job with the T-Rex and then with the Mosasaur and everything. It just worked really well together. There wasn't nearly enough Jeff Goldblum in the movie though. <laughs> We were so excited when we found out that he was coming back to the series for this movie, but he didn't really, you know, it was just sort of a voiceover at the very beginning and very end. Yeah, that was pretty much it. It would have been nice if he went to the island or was at the haunted house or something. I think his character would refuse to go to the island at this point. Yeah, but I mean, he refused in the second one, and then they figured out a way to get him to go with his girlfriend going and all that. Yeah, but now he's older and wiser. <laughs> I guess. He seems pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. I also really appreciated the suspense scenes, like you were asking me which scenes made me like it better. I liked the... Early in the movie, you had Claire and Franklin with the Baryonyx mm-hmm. that was chomping at them. I thought they did a really great job with that. Well, even when the Baryonyx is coming for them mm-hmm. and they don't see it, their backs are turned because they're focused on the lava coming in and then things flash and you see the yeah. outline of it in the tunnel. Yeah, the little drips of lava they use, almost like a blinking light in a horror movie. I mm-hmm. thought that was a really clever trick. And then I think the reason they might have picked Baryonyx is because when they're escaping through that little tube hatch situation. Oh, it's elongated face. Yeah, exactly. Plus it doesn't have the sail on its back like a Spinosaurus mm-hmm. or a Suchomimus might. So it could kind of squirm up after them. And they really had it squirm out with its head sticking all the way out yeah. at the very end. That was a really cool trick. Um, I also really liked the part where they were running from the dinosaur stampede in the gyrosphere too. And then when they were trapped in the gyrosphere underwater, that was so suspenseful and really well done. Mm-hmm. As well as, I think one of my favorite scenes was when Maisie was backing up in the basement and you knew the Indoraptor was there in the cage oh, behind yeah, her. Oh yeah, the claw gets to her hair. Exactly. and you're, But you were expecting it to really grab her or mm-hmm. something. That was a pretty it's good just scene. just the beginning. There's also the scene with the Indoraptor in the bedroom mm-hmm. and its claws coming slowly towards her face. I couldn't help but think that its arm wasn't long enough to do that though. Because his arm was really only long enough to reach out to around the edge of its mouth. You know what I mean? Mm. So like when it was walking, it could reach out to just under its head mm-hmm. when it was all quadrupedal. But when it was in the bedroom, all of a sudden its arm can reach out way past its head. So it's just arm sticking out. Oh, I thought that its head was really close by. It wasn't. Mm. It was like a just arm, which was kind of strange. Well, speaking of Indoraptor, it did this thing where it was always tapping with its sickle claw. Mm-hmm. What was that about? I don't know. I think that was just to be menacing or like it was thinking, kind of like tapping its its finger on a desk or something. Yeah. Originally, I was thinking that's one of the ways it senses its surroundings, but that didn't seem to help it much. No. Yeah. It seemed more to just like it was thinking and just sort of doing it idly while thinking about where to go. Mm-hmm. That was a cool trick, though. It really made you focus on how enormous its claw was. True. <laughs> With the characters, I really liked Wheatley, the mercenary character. I thought he was a really good villain, but Eversol and Mills were both kind of meh, I thought. Eversol's the guy who was doing the auction. Yeah. He started out as like kind of a curmudgeonly, I don't want to work with you anymore because you're not professional. And then he turned into a huge wimp later. Yeah. It just kind of a, seemed kind of out of character and... Oh, did cliche. I didn't think that seemed out of character. Just eh, it's no. like the same way they portray villains and everything, though. Like, oh no, I'm gonna get eaten, and then it's like, ah, everybody <laughs>, laughs because the villain is all of a sudden wimpy. It's just 
I don't know. I don't think he's, well, he's definitely a villain, but I don't think he thinks he's bad. He thinks he's still dealing with Lockwood. He has no idea that Mills is betraying Lockwood even. Because there's a scene where he says, oh, is Lockwood showing up for the auction? And then Mills has already killed Lockwood at this point and says, eh, probably not. Oh, yeah, that's true. But he definitely knows he's running an illegal underground auction. So I think... True. <laughs> he, I, there's always the question of whether or not villains think they're villains. But he's more sleazy than anything. He was never meant to be a courageous character. That's yes, why I didn't think it's out of character for him to be afraid. I thought in the beginning he was kind of courageous, though, when he was like, I'm calling this off. You know, like That's more like he feels like a big shot around people. Yeah. And then he's used to dealing with these large sums of money. But I don't think that necessarily means he's got a lot of courage when it comes to especially these large animals. I suppose. I just, the whole like screaming like a child thing and all that, it's just kind of, eh. But there's always something like that. Like in the first Jurassic Park and there's the, was it the T-Rex and the toilet scene? Yeah. But that was a, I don't know. That was kind of a funny way to die. Mm. This wasn't really that funny of a way. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I guess there weren't really any funny deaths. The one with Wheatley I thought was really good, where he was trying to take out the tooth. That was one of my favorite parts. Oh, yeah, that's true. And the Indoraptor's kind of smirking and, like, <laughs> waiting for the right moment to get him. That was pretty funny. We're pretty sure that's one of the puppet moments. Yeah, when he's, like, trying to pull out the tooth for sure. And Mills is just kind of a weird character, too, because he starts out kind of as, like, a love interest, but he's just scamming Claire and... Yeah, he was inconsistent. He was pretty inconsistent. It was weird. He didn't really seem to be into the villain stuff that he was doing. Yeah. Aside from that, some of my favorite scenes, that you had the Sinoceratops licking <laughs> Owen oh, to yeah. wake him up, and then he sees the lava, and he has to kind of like half-limp, Kill Bill-style roll away from it to get away from the lava. That part was pretty great. It was definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. There's some people I know had an issue with that because it just didn't seem possible that a human being would be able to do that when he's kind of temporarily paralyzed and somehow he gets himself away from the lava. Oh. I've read some of the reviews about it. Interesting. I just thought it was like he was just waking up. So like the Sinoceratops woke him up and he was still like half asleep. Mm -hmm. Although some of the moves were pretty awkward and weird, but I, I just thought it was a good comedic take on it. <laughs> Did it help when you moved kind of like him in 4DX? Mm, no. <laughs> I think after the opening scene, I was pretty much done with the 4DX. I would have preferred it to just like sit completely still and just watch the movie from then on. <laughs> I also really liked the scene where, so Blue gets shot and needs a blood transfusion and they decide that they need the T-Rex blood. This is when all the dinosaurs from the island that have been saved are now on a boat. They're taking them back to California. And so Claire and Owen have to go into the cage with the T-Rex and get some of its blood. And that whole sequence is just great. It's a lot of comedy in there. Yeah, that was a good scene. And I think that was also probably a puppet because they're so up close and personal with the T-Rex. That was pretty yeah. cool to see. And then Owen escapes by basically somersaulting through the T-Rex's open jaws. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, that, some of the criticism like, was how, how could he escape the lava being 
temporarily paralyzed and then how did he get these crazy moves all of a sudden <laughs> yeah he was i mean in the first movie he was doing lots of crazy stuff too though yeah with all the like he was diving out of the raptor cage and riding the motorcycle through the forest i think he's supposed to be like a super you know action adventure style really quick reflexes kind of guy he's channeling his superhero-ness from his marvel movies i guess so overall yeah i think that island and boat half of the movie is better than the haunted house half oh really that's the action adventure half versus the horror half yeah it's just because all those problems we were talking about with the character inconsistencies and things like that that all came up in the second half of the film whereas in the first half it was pretty consistent mm-hmm. and it was almost like they made a lot of those inconsistencies in order to make that switch Whereas if they had just stuck to the first sort of style of the movie, they wouldn't have needed to change all these characters so drastically. So maybe if it had only been the second half, you know, all haunted house style, it would have also been good. But I really like seeing the dinosaurs in this sort of naturalish habitat. Yeah, you got that great stampede scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. And then when they all fall in the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple other weird spots. You've got Maisie being a clone. I don't know why they did that. Unless they do something in the next movie about that. It didn't make any sense. Well, I I really doubt it because even though kids never die in Spielberg movies, out of the four Jurassic Park movies so far, kids have never made it into the following movie. Yeah, Lex Murphy actually makes a cameo in The Lost World very briefly. And the reason I know this is because I recently went through a slideshow that was like, where are they now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, there's no substantial role for any of the kids in the next movie, Mm. which is why I don't think there's going to be like a whole, oh, this is why she was a clone and this is what's happening. True. Although there's still a mystery about her mother. Like we know it looks, we know Maisie's mother looks exactly like her, but I don't know. How does she fit into the rest of it? Yeah, super random. I really expected the mother to be some character we had heard of before. So we were looking it up, but it's just like, she's a clone of a person we've never seen. Mm -hmm. And that was so strange. I'm guessing the reason they did it was it was supposed to give her the motivation to open the doors for the being poisoned dinosaurs because they were also clones that line that you didn't like yeah where she's like they're clones like me yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was terrible so that's probably why they did it i'm guessing they made her a clone maybe i still liked her a lot though i think she is one of the better kid characters other than that line she did a pretty good job for sure there's apparently a lot of people who didn't like her and I, i don't know why I mean, kid characters are usually pretty one-dimensional, mm. and she was pretty one-dimensional in general. She was also better in the beginning of the movie than the end, mm. when she was interacting with Lockwood and Iris, her grandpa and nanny. There's also that hilarious scene where they're trying to coax Maisie out of the dumb waiter, and they're like, we could use a friend too. Yeah, you really like that. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It sounded so much like creepy adults trying to lure a child somewhere. I don't know why they did that. It was like the way they shot it. They even had them both like slowly walking forward, like they were trying to sneak up on her. It's just, oh man, that was so weird. Such a strange choice. They were making like creepy music too. The scoring of that scene was very strange. Oh, I don't remember the music. Yeah, it was like ominous. Like, why are they making them seem like predators? It's so strange. On a a different note, I really liked all the scenes with Stygie Moloch. Yeah, it was pretty good. Sort of like a comedic relief. Yeah, because they use it to get out of the jail cells and it keeps doing that thing where it bangs its head and then kind of shakes it off. Yeah. It looks a little dazed. Yeah. 
maybe that's a nod to the fact that it may not have actually been able to do that and it might have suffered some pretty bad brain damage yeah. <laughs> if it was butting heads like that. Could be. I think it had the comedic music as well. I don't remember. One thing that I really liked about the movie was I don't think they used the word velociraptor once in the entire thing. They always referred to them as theropods, which I thought was kind of interesting. And maybe they're sort of dancing away from the fact that the quote unquote Jurassic Park velociraptors are not even remotely like velociraptors and they're sort of their own thing. I thought it was more because blue is the last one. So then they just kept referring to her as blue. Yeah, but then sometimes they talk about all the velociraptors or Owen when they showed those clips of him in the past. Mm. He would say like, these are the groups from the second set of theropods or the first set of theropods. We thought that was odd at first because wouldn't they have known exactly what kind of dinosaur they were dealing with? Yeah, but that's why I'm thinking maybe they're trying to like distance it from the fact that they're clearly not velociraptors. I don't know. Mm. Because they never said velociraptors, as far as I can tell, not once in the whole movie. But they referred to the group of velociraptors several times, and they always just said theropods or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then as a final aside, the hydrogen cyanide that leaks is a real chemical, because I know about chemicals, being a chemical engineer. And it's mostly used for making polymers. I'm not really sure why they would have it in a large tank in a basement where you're storing animals. I mean, it's kind of strange. It's not the kind of thing you would use to poison something because it becomes gaseous at such a low temperature, but I don't know. I also used to work at a plant where they had a big tank of acrylonitrile, which is very similar to hydrogen cyanide, and it was used in the process of making Teflon. So that's the sort of process where you'd expect to see hydrogen cyanide, and I don't think they were making Teflon or any kind of similar polymer in that basement, but maybe they were using it to make some sort of tranquilizer or something. I don't know. It's kind of strange. It's also really flammable. So there's a chance that if there were open flames, it would have just burned off. There were some explosions. Yeah, but I mean, the hydrogen cyanide content continued to rise. It didn't just burn off. Oh, I see. And they really should have just opened that door without opening the gates. I I still don't understand. That really bothered you. But that's how they let them loose into the world. That's how it becomes Jurassic World. I know. But if you're thinking like, oh, we need to vent this place, opening the huge concrete door is the way to do it. Opening the gates doesn't do anything. Then they're just in the middle of the thing. But how clearly are you thinking when you've gone through everything they've just gone through? Well, a couple of them were down there for like an hour trying to brainstorm how to do it. Mm. You'd think they might come up with it. They're smart people. Maybe all those chemicals were getting to their heads. Uh, Well, they weren't exposed. They were in that little glass bubble. Oh, true. Yeah. Weird. So you want to talk about some guesses for the next movie? Okay. (laughs) So I'm guessing since the end of this movie, it just shows all the dinosaurs going loose into California. Actually, half of the dinosaurs going loose into California and the other half have been auctioned off and shipped to people's homes. You think it was half? Yeah, because they got halfway through the auction Mm. and they're like, now that we're halfway, here's a special surprise. And then we got the Indoraptor. So they should have gotten through half of them, which would have been, I guess, a dozen or so dinosaurs. And the other dozen went free. We know at least one of them went to Russia. I think that was the Allosaurus. Yeah, might have been the the juvenile Allosaurus. Yeah. And then we saw an Ankylosaurus get auctioned off. And I don't think we know of any of the other ones that got auctioned off. I think there was one more, but I can't think of what it was. The Indoraptor got auctioned off, but it didn't make it out. Yeah, but before that. I don't think so. Well, someone who's listening can let us know. <laughs> but anyway, you've got all these dinosaurs that are now loose in the world. 
Yeah, so maybe the whole next movie will be sort of trying to contain them or or Godzilla and King Kong style, like people versus giant dinosaur scenes. They won't know. quite be as big as Godzilla. Yeah, but I mean, that's still the same kind of style. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. At the end, we don't know what happened exactly to Henry Wu, which is interesting because at the end of Jurassic World, it was very clear that he got off the island with his DNA. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be the one that's holding the briefcase full of blood vials or not. Oh, yeah, because you just see the blood vials at the end. But interestingly, you can tell that one of them is Dreadnoughtus. Yeah, <laughs> that would be similar in size to like a Godzilla. A that's Godzilla true. Type. Depending on which Godzilla it is, some of them are a lot bigger than others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it would definitely be hard to sort of manage if it's in a city. I was thinking that it would be kind of like the silent film version of The Lost World where it's bashing up against buses and things like that. It'd be kind of fun to see. Oh yeah, they could put some dinosaurs on display in a public theater. <laughs> mm -hmm. They also showed the Ehrlichosaurus on the boat but it didn't escape into California, which probably means that one got auctioned off. Mm. And that's the one that's sort of like a Dinochirus, or for people that aren't familiar with Dinochirus, it's a bipedal dinosaur, but it's got huge claws for its forearms. Mm -hmm. And then it's probably an herbivore. So it's kind of got a head like a Hadrosaurus. <laughs> Very weird looking. Very strange dinosaur, yeah. So it would be interesting to see what they did with that one. It was kind of making swipes at the guys on the dock with its big claws, which I thought was a fun effect they were doing. Yeah. Or oh, you can't forget the non-dinosaurs, the Mosasaurus that's just swimming in the ocean. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about that. That could almost be a whole movie on its own, just trying to take care of that. <laughs> it's true. And then you got the pterosaurs flying around in Vegas. Yeah. Maybe other places. Yeah, that's also a difficult one to manage. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the dinosaurs on land, they're all relatively big other than the Procompsignathus size ones. And so you, you figure you could probably hunt them down pretty quick. They also take a long time to grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a long gestation period. But these marine reptiles and the, the flying ones are a lot more difficult to catch once they're out in the wild. Yeah. Although there's only the one mosasaur. And um, you would notice it. Yeah. But I'm just thinking it couldn't breed, most likely. Oh, true. But you, who knows how long it lives? Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they'll be able to do tracking devices on all of these animals. Yeah, because in the movie they said that they were all powered by their body heat so that they never need to be recharged, basically. Although that baby triceratops, because there was a random baby, that probably hints at them being able to breed. So Oh, true. <laughs> They're never always all female. Yeah. Maybe they'll flash forward like 20 years and the next one will be like, oh, we're overrun by all these dinosaurs because they've been <laughs> breeding for a while. Or maybe we'll have the dinosaurs as pets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it could take a totally different tack. Mm-hmm. Or a mix of both. Or maybe they do the militarizing thing. Although it sounds like probably not. Yeah, they seem to be going away from that idea, going into more creative ideas. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So now that we have talked through the movie, we'll go into the dinosaur of the day, Indoraptor, which of course appears in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It's the new hybrid dinosaur and supposedly the last hybrid dinosaur in this series. It's also the first dinosaur in the Jurassic World series to be male. I read that somewhere, Mm. although it didn't seem that specific in the movie. Yeah, I don't think they ever actually mentioned that. They said it needs a mother, but I don't think they said he needs a mother. I think it was always it. It, yeah. Usually the dinosaurs are it, um, except for blue. Yep. (laughs) Uh, You might be able to guess from its name. It's a hybrid of Indominus Rex and Velociraptor. Yeah, that's kind of a weird one because that makes it like two parts Velociraptor because Indominus Rex was already part Velociraptor. Oh yeah, tiny bit. But that actually, to your point, Garrett, about them not calling the Velociraptors Velociraptor, they were saying because of the Velociraptorness of it, it would respond to Blue as a mother. So they're implying Blue is a Velociraptor. I know what you're saying, but they didn't actually say that it was a velociraptor, if you think about it. They said it was a combination of the two most dangerous dinosaurs. And then they said Henry Wu's creation is one of them. I see. It's the successor to his earlier creation. So all of that was just kind of inferred that they were talking about Indominus Rex and Velociraptor. They never actually said the word Velociraptor. Uh, Okay. Well then. (laughs) If I'm remembering correctly, I might not be. If you want to learn more about either of those dinosaurs, we covered Indominus Rex back in episode 29 and Velociraptor in episode 83. If you're in the mood for a real dinosaur, not a fictional dinosaur. Well, (laughs) Indominus Rex. Yeah. Still fiction. Oh, true. Anyway, Indoraptor was about three quarters the size of Indominus Rex, although... Really? I think it looked smaller in the movie. I would have said like half the size. A lot of times the size, quote unquote, is just talking about length. Mm. And it might have been three quarters of length because it's a lot lower to the ground Mm -hmm. and skinnier. But it might have still been like 30 feet. Maybe Indominus Rex was 40 feet or something like that. Yeah. As you probably know, it was dark black in color and had a yellow streak from the base of its neck to its tail, which is kind of similar to Blue's metallic blue streak. Oh, good point. Yeah. I was thinking it was very strange that it had that yellow streak, but a lot of the velociraptors had those kind of colored streaks. Mm -hmm. So I guess if it's coming from the same sort of DNA, that almost makes sense. Yeah. And it had this kind of red mark around its eye. Oh, yeah. It's like (laughs) eyeshadow. As you can tell in the movie, it can move really fast in the dark and it used echolocation more effectively than bats. Huh. Where did it say that? That's a weird one. It wasn't that specific. It was more like in the auction scene, they were talking about its heightened senses Uh. and how well it could hear and I think smell. But that seemed to be inconsistent too, because when it's trying to track down Owen and Claire and Maisie at one point, it just walks right by them. Yeah. And it's sniffing around, too, and it can't smell them when they're like four feet away. Yeah, I I guess there's a door in between them. That doesn't seem to be enough. Well, there wasn't even. I remember when they were under the Triceratops skull and it was like walking around the other sides of it. Even then it couldn't smell them. So maybe its senses aren't that good. They were trying to sell it, you know? True. They were just upselling. (laughs) It did appear to be bulletproof like Indominus Rex. Yeah, that was unnecessary. 
And it was good at playing dead. That was that was good. I yeah. like that. And then, of course, it was trained to respond to, what was it, the, the laser sensor followed by the sound. Acoustic sounds. signal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I like that touch. If you're t- talking about having like a really advanced predator, training it to attack by laser guided, like some sort of advanced missile is pretty cool. Well, that's when the bidding started, even though it wasn't for sale. Yeah. That's when they found that detail out. I did like the touch of how they demoed that. They just pointed at a random guy in the audience. Yeah. And it's like, here's how it works. <laughs> uh, that would be terrifying if you were that guy or really anyone nearby him. It had some interesting teeth, too, now that I'm thinking about it. Like when Wheatley was trying to pull its teeth out, its mouth was closed and the teeth are still sticking up. Yeah. Yeah. They gave it non-dinosaur teeth, basically, because mm-hmm. dinosaurs all have essentially an overbite, whereas crocodiles and stuff have those interlocking teeth and they give it teeth like a crocodile. Mm-hmm. Which I think Indominus Rex had too. So that might be why they did that. Mm. And the same kind of like sharp, almost like crocodilian teeth. Right. Well, some of the characters, as soon as they saw it, did say, what is that thing? So they recognized yeah. it wasn't a dinosaur. That's true. It had a strangely flexible tail, I noticed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Compared to, say, Velociraptor and Indominus Rex, which both have tails that are are held straight back out from the body and they're stiff. But this guy had a tail that is whipping back and forth like it's a dog or something. Oh, yeah. Another detail I didn't like in the 4DX. Oh, because it was whipping you in the legs with the air blasts. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, so that was kind of strange. Must be the frog DNA. (laughs) <laughs> the tails the frog dna <laughs> that's the excuse everybody gives for why they aren't actually like dinosaurs uh, it's the frog see. dna <laughs> so yeah that pretty much covers indoraptor and you should watch the movie you can see all these interesting characteristics for yourself yeah and our fun fact of the day is also a spoiler from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And the question is, could you do a blood transfusion between a Velociraptor and a T-Rex like they did in the movie? And the answer is probably once. <laughs> so basically, there are cross-species blood transfusions. They're called xenotransfusions, and xeno meaning foreign or different. And they started in the 1600s. Apparently, the earliest ones were between lambs and people, and they sometimes worked. The first one appeared to work, hmm. so they so gave they kept doing it. Yeah, they gave some lamb blood to a person. I don't know why lamb. Maybe lambs seem innocent and good, and this is like the era of the different bloodletting principles and all that. I don't know. It's weird, but after a few days. Basically, what happens is your immune system notices that the red blood cells are different from the transfused blood than your blood, and they manage to kill all of those blood cells off. So the timing varies depending on how different the animals are and some other factors, but it's usually within about four days. It'll wipe out all the red blood cells that were from the transfusion. But even though it kills off all these red blood cells after just a few days, it can still be really helpful because it might be enough time in order to recover. So say with Blue, which got shot, and it's basically just, you know, its heart is having a tough time because it's losing blood. It's basically a blood pressure issue. If you can just get enough blood back into its system to sort of pump something, keep the blood pressure up, that's still a huge help. And in this case, it's still, you know, there's still red blood cells that are working for the few days. So it's actually pretty effective. And it's often done in veterinary 
circles, especially between different species of birds, because I guess they don't have the same type of blood types that humans have, so it works a little bit better bird to bird, which makes you think maybe it would work better with dinosaurs because birds are dinosaurs. And true. Yeah, so it's a pretty common practice, at least with birds, occasionally with other animals. Unfortunately, like I said, it probably only works once, at least with humans and some other animals, because the immune system, even though it takes four days to kind of get going and really attack those blood cells, once it's all ready to go, it stays ready to go for years. So if you do another transfusion, it's ready to go and can put you into shock about 60% of the time if you do another transfusion, another xenotransfusion that is. But in a pinch, it can work. So for example, in an article about this on Slate, they said that there have been xenotransfusions between dogs and cats. Yeah. And they also mentioned that that's a potentially genetically similar sort of level of cousins or whatever you want to call it. The difference between a dog and a cat is similar to the difference between a T-Rex and a Velociraptor. So that transfusion that they did in the movie probably would have worked, which I'm really surprised by. Because I was looking at it thinking T-Rex and Velociraptor were tens of millions of years apart, and they're not really even in the same exact group of dinosaurs. How are you going to do this transfusion? But I guess animals aren't that picky, at least one time. <laughs> so there you go. If you need blood and you're desperate, just take it from any old mammal near you. <laughs> I'm Not sure there's really. some things you should follow, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely don't actually do that. Oh. It's interesting. And on that note, that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good